If you've been dabbling in blogging and online business, but haven't taken the plunge and really started taking it seriously yet, this is the episode for you. Today, I'm chatting with Sarah Almond Bushel, otherwise known as the children's nutritionist. Sarah is a dietitian from the UK who has actually had a website since 2008, but she didn't start using it to grow her online income until nearly 10 years later. In 2018, after the passing of her mother, Sarah had a wake-up call and realized that life was too short to be spending her time in stressful jobs that perhaps didn't fill her cup. So she decided to start taking this online business thing seriously and intentionally to start creating online income. Flash forward nearly five years later, and Sarah is now the proud owner of a multiple six-figure online business with a large variety of income streams, including ad revenue, online course sales, digital goods, membership income, brand work, affiliate income, one-on-one consults with an employee on her team, and now business coaching as well for other dietitians, especially those in the UK and Europe, who are interested in growing and scaling their online businesses as well. In this episode, we chat about what Sarah's turning point was when she realized that online business was a really viable career path to take, how she was able to grow her traffic to about 50,000 monthly sessions while still on Squarespace, why she decided to finally switch over to WordPress, and how her traffic tripled right after she switched, how she started with more active income streams like sponsored content and one-on-one consults, but gradually was able to switch to more passive streams like online courses, memberships, and ad revenue. We chat about how Sarah really considered the customer journey when she was coming up with her product and service ideas, and she gives us some really great tips on how she gets to know her ideal customers so that she can more effectively market to them. We also learn more about Sarah's recent foray into paid PR and the incredible results she saw from using that strategy to build her brand's authority. We chat about whether or not Sarah has a team to help her in her business and what a week in the life looks like inside her current gig. And finally, we end the conversation with some little nuggets from Sarah, her best tips for people who feel like they've been plugging away in their business for a while and just can't seem to make any progress. She shares what people should really be thinking about or focusing on to start getting unstuck. I really think you're going to love this conversation, so let's dive in. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast. I am so excited to actually, quote unquote, meet you after being connected online for years. It feels like a long time now. I actually was curious about this because I knew that you joined my courses like really early on and I went back in the system just to see how early and you were one of the first 20 people to enroll in late 2018 when I was like beta launching. Like I asked people to sign up before I even had a product created. It was just the idea of these courses (laughs) at the time, I think, um, I was presenting it like a membership site where I was going to talk about SEO, monetization, and email. That was like my idea for the first year. And I did execute on that that year and then eventually like pared it down. So now I'm just doing SEO. But you enrolled like straight out of the gate before there was any ever anything concrete. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, if people like you didn't like 
take a vote of confidence like that with me, I don't know if we'd be here today. So thank you. Thank you for jumping in when you did. Uh, And I know you've come super far with your business in the last four years or so. And we'll dive into that today in the conversation. I'm really inspired by everything you put together. So thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So to start the conversation, what I I did was I took your URL because you have a really good URL. It's childrensnutrition.co.uk, which I... I was like, wow, you had to have purchased this really early on to get something so, I don't know, like like broad, I guess, like children's nutrition. <laughs> All of that stuff got swooped up early on in the days of the internet. So yeah, it looked like you had it since 2008, which is amazing. Uh, incredible that you started your site so early on, really, in the grand scheme of the internet. Um, so I was just poking around and looking how your site has evolved over the years. And yeah, it's come so far. So I was wondering, you know, take us back to 2008. What made you initially decide to even start a website at that time? Did you have a business? What what were your thoughts? Yeah, so, um, so I did have a business, I'd had a private practice since about 2002. um, But it was totally ad hoc. It was, you know, referrals from the doctors that I worked with would ask me to see their private patients, and I'd see them on the way home from the hospital. And I had my first baby in 2007 and I was coming towards the end of that maternity leave and going back to work and I was going to go back part time and I needed to supplement my income somehow. And the intention was to start a website so people would be able to find me and see more private patients. And did that work at the time? So what actually happened was I put it, put everything up there and I was getting quite a lot of um, PR work. So newspapers and uh, radio stations contacted me for information, you know, for comments on, on stories that had come out. And as a result of that, I got contacted by the local council um, where I live in East Sussex in the UK to ask if I would get involved in a project on nursery school meals so essentially they wanted to uh, look at all of the nursery meals in their the nurseries in their area there was 40 nurseries have all of their food collected and sent to a lab to be analyzed and then they wanted a nutritionist to take a look at it and give them some advice for improvements really so I, I would say the website probably didn't necessarily lead to that, but certainly I was putting all my links to the the newspaper articles and things like that on the website, and that resulted in that that project work. Awesome, yeah, and it looked like you had relatively the same kind of website until maybe two thousand fourteen ish, and then it seemed like there was a nice little branding refresh, and then a notable thing that I noticed was that you added a blog component to your website and maybe some additional like one-to-many type of offerings, like some weaning workshops and stuff. So what went into that transition? Where were you trying to go there? Yeah. So, um, so that was quite a few years later, I'd gone back to the NHS and I'd um, progressed in my career. I was a dietetic manager at that point, still part-time. And so I was still trying to supplement my income And one of my colleagues' husbands was setting up a web design company. And so they said, you know, they would have a go and and create a website for me. And that was a WordPress website. But it was so clunky. I couldn't do anything with it. I couldn't make any changes. Every time I wanted to add a blog or correct a typo or absolutely anything, I had to employ him (laughs) to do it for me. 
but it it was okay and it kind of stayed like that for years because i was busy doing work elsewhere in in the hospital so you know the the focus wasn't solely on the on trying to grow the business at that stage okay and then where were you in 2018 then we'll just flash forward a few more years when i opened up my <laughs> course offerings and you decided to enroll like where were you at in business at that point and what were your goals yeah, so so it was a bit of a, a wake up call for me, really. But in 2018, um, my mum died. She had she was diagnosed with this really rare form of leukemia, and she died quite suddenly. And at that point in my career, I was working as an NHS director, and it was the most stressful job I've ever had. I had to be on call in the middle of the night. Um, it was a time when the NHS were trying to make huge cost savings, and I kept having to get rid of jobs and reduce services and ask people to do more for less. And it was just, it was a really, really tough job. And I think what happened was after my mum died, it gave me a little bit of a wake up call, you know, that life was too short. And so in the sort of months that followed, I really started to think about taking my business that I had on the side a little bit more seriously and and turn it into something that could actually become a career. So how I ended up finding out about you was I took three months off after after I lost my mum, just supporting my dad, and they lived in Spain. So I spent three months in Spain, and I found myself just listening to podcasts about how to how to run your own business, essentially. And I discovered Pat Flynn and the whole concept of passive income. And then on on one of his episodes, he was interviewing Amy Porterfield and she started talking about the power of list building in digital courses. And, you know, at that point, I was absolutely hooked. That's definitely the path that I wanted to go down. And there was a there was a dietitian um, who was who was also a marketeer called Emily Foster, who I'd kind of been introduced to a year or so before that. And she'd actually taken me um under her wing and showed me how to use a Squarespace website. Um, so I moved away from that clunky WordPress one that, I, you know, I couldn't do anything myself. And I set myself up on Squarespace and I could actually use it. So that was brilliant. And she had a podcast and she interviewed you on the podcast and you were talking about Pat Flynn and Amy Porterfield. And I was That's like, so oh, funny. she knows the same people as me. Um that was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, I know, I, totally I know, forgot I know. And, and what I remember about that was you talked about your freelance um, or your Facebook group, the Unconventional RD Facebook group. And I just thought, you know what, this is exactly what I need because I knew that I didn't want to see patients. I didn't really want to be doing loads and loads of brand work because really I was just jumping from one job to another job working for somebody else. Um, and so I found your group really, really inspiring and learned like tons of different ways to make money other than actually seeing one-to-one clients. Wow. Okay. I love that story. It's so, <laughs> so funny to hear like the way that people get there, but yeah, it's so true. I, um, I was equally obsessed with Pat Flynn for a long time. Like that was definitely my, one of my gateways into the online world as well. And I, I remember back in the early days, I was like, I want to be like Pat Flynn for dietitians. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So let's see. At this point, it's like 2018. You've enrolled in the courses to learn about SEO to grow your audience and some ideas for monetizing and integrating email as well. So 
what happened? Like when you started implementing these types of things, like maybe we'll start with SEO. Like, did you have any big aha moments where you're like, oh man, I can't believe I was doing it this way now that I understand SEO. (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah. So I really thought a blog you know, back back in 2017, 20, early 2018, I thought a blog was like a diary, like an online diary. And I guess it probably was back in the day, wasn't it? So I had this facility now on my Squarespace website to start documenting things. And so that's what I did. So I, I wrote all these posts and they were absolutely dreadful. And I took them down not long after I did your course um, about, you know, what it was like in the autumn and all the lovely colours of the trees and, you know, all of this stuff. And the thing was, if I looked at like other really famous dietitians in the UK, and had a look at their websites. That's what they were doing as well. So I honestly, I honestly thought that was the right thing to do. And, you know, I'd drop in periodically something that I thought might be of interest in relation to nutrition. So when I learned about keyword research, it was like a revelation. It was, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Write about what people are looking for. That's so much better than, you know, just putting your own thoughts down on, on your screen. So that was, you know, probably the biggest aha moment for me. And I just remember, so when the when I did the course, I was still working full time in this in the NHS. And I just remember like driving around the countryside in between these meetings that I was going to and having to like pull over on the side of my car because there was something like you said. And I thought, oh, I've got to write that down. I've got to write that down. And then, you know, dashing back to a computer to try and like implement it on my website. So, yeah, that was it was absolutely a huge eye opener to me. Yeah, I can relate to that. I did the exact same thing with my first attempt at a food blog. <laughs> did not understand the, that you could create content around what people were looking for. And like, oh, that's how you get found. <laughs> yeah, it makes so, sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so obvious in retrospect. But yeah. Okay. So when you were did start to take it seriously, like how often were you able to publish and what kind of results were you getting? And if it took a while, because as I talk about quite often on this podcast, it's usually like a one, two, three year process to get to where you're trying to go and make good money. <laughs> if you're, yeah. if you are trying to build large amounts of traffic, I should say that's more for like ad revenue. Maybe if you're selling something more niche, you could see some results a little sooner, but um, so yeah, what, what was your publishing frequency like and what, what kind of results were you getting? Yeah. So um, I remember I was so I'm, I'm a bit of a data geek, so I was I was writing down all of my numbers at the time, and I remember I had something like one thousand eight hundred and something page views when I very first started. So I was actually quite surprised that I had that many. Um, but and, you, but and just I, to put it into context, you're still on Squarespace at this point, right? Still on Squarespace, right, right at the very start. Yeah, absolutely. And all I could manage was one blog every two months. So I I did six in that first year. But by the end of the year, I'd gone up to 5,000 views, which felt absolutely epic. I felt like I was working, you know, I was definitely seeing progress. But then, you know, fast forward a year later, I was blogging about once a month at that stage and I was up at 25,000 paid views. So that was a huge jump. So I really felt as if, you know, the progress was happening. It was suddenly taking off. But again, I was still working full time in the NHS and and my blog was this thing that I did on the side. Um, And I was still doing the brand work for, you know, (laughs) for the extra income and trying to grow my social media and also launch my first course. So there was like it, it was kind of one of many things that I was working on at the time. 
And that was all still on Squarespace. Yeah. Yeah. So then at what point were you maybe like, should I switch to WordPress or was that not even on your radar yet? Like what made you eventually switch over from Squarespace to WordPress? Yeah. So I know we had so many conversations in the Facebook group about um, switching over to WordPress. And I was always like, no, 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 I'm not going back there. I've had a bad experience. I'll, I'll stick with what I know. And I Which, think to actually- be fair, I just want to point out like that's mm. a really good lesson for people listening, though. Like you still took action. Like, I think that's the most important thing. Like you still experienced growth on the platform that maybe people were like, hey, you should probably switch to WordPress. But you were like, okay, I hear you, but not right now. I can't handle it right now. And like, you still did the work and that is huge. Cause I, I think sometimes people get caught up in perfection and they're like, well, if I'm not on WordPress then I just can't do anything because it's not perfectly set up right now. You know what I mean? Um, So thank you for sharing your story. And the success and growth that you were able to see on Squarespace, because I think that's inspiring for people too. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you say, it was a lot of work. So I had all these little workarounds, you know, with creating JSON LD code to stick in the back of my blog so Google could actually read what it was about. And, you know, there was no way of having recipe cards. So I'd uh, had another bit of code to, to like produce a box and then something in Canva to make it look pretty. And then, you know, there was no print button. So if somebody wanted to print, it had to go through to the Google Drive. It was just like fairly extensive workarounds really but I think I think the reason why I didn't switch over was that fear of not being able to do it myself and also because my money making at that stage was it was it was okay but it was inconsistent and I really didn't want to get to a point where um, I had a website that I couldn't do myself and I had stuff that I wanted to publish but I couldn't afford to pay the guy to publish it so it was it was fear really that held me back up until um about summer 21 when I did eventually make the make the change. <laughs> yeah. And to be fair, there a lot changed over that time period like from when you first had your your WordPress website to where it is now. There's been so yeah. many improvements in making it easier to use as an individual without having to be like a website pro. I agree. Like I started my first website on WordPress in 2010. And back then there was like the themes were so bare bone. You really had to custom code a lot of stuff to get it to look even remotely good. (laughs) Like it was very different. Um, So I totally understand like if that's the experience you had years ago, you're like, eh, that wasn't the greatest. (laughs) But thankfully, (laughs) I don't know if you agree. I think it has gotten a lot easier uh, these days. Yeah, absolutely. So the um, I use a theme now, Elementor theme for my page builder, and actually it's it's as easy as Squarespace. It's you know drag and drop, and it's absolutely fine. So yeah, yeah. definitely much easier than what I had back then. So what what gave you the push then? You were afraid, but then you did it. So what what made you change your mind? Yeah. So I'd had a period of time where I had no growth at all. It, on in terms of my Google Analytics. So I'd, it, and it was for about a six month period. It was quite a long time. And at that point, I also had a bunch of interns who were working for me, who were, I'd created all these amazing SOPs, you know, to create content in exactly the way that I wanted it to be created, following your guidance from the course. And I had, at one point, I think I had about 40 different um, interns writing for me in order to generate 
loads and loads of blogs and they were really really high quality blogs and they were fantastic and I was getting them up on the website you know with quite a big frequency and I was seeing no growth at all so I knew something at that point was off and I'd, I'd, be, I'd been a member of a, a Facebook group for Squarespace bloggers and people talked about this threshold this sort of ceiling that people hit and then you know they would then switch over to WordPress and come back and tell everybody hey you got to switch over to WordPress so I was like okay you know what I need to listen to the people around me here and actually just make that change and I'm really glad I did. So there was, it was a big job. So there was over 200 blogs on the website when I decided to make that change. And it actually took us about 10 months working with a team who helped me redesign the whole website and move everything over. And I went live on the 28th of May last year, 2022. And honestly, no joke my traffic tripled overnight that's insane but so awesome were you like yes <laughs> yeah I was like, it's true it really was true <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny yeah I mean and I love that you gave us the insight that it was a really big job and it took 10 months because you're right uh sometimes people go into the switch maybe a little naively. Uh, but if you want to do it right, which it sounds like you definitely did to see such fabulous results after the switch, uh, you, there's a lot of like small things that you have to match up and try not to really change too much about the way your site is structured during the switch. And that takes yeah. a lot of work because it's essentially a new platform. You have to redesign everything to make sure when you transfer the content over all the formatting and the schema and yes. all that is all the same. Uh, so yeah, kudos to your team that helped you because it sounds like they did a really good job. So yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and do you think now, looking back, like if someone is listening to this podcast right now and they are also on Squarespace, what would your advice be to them if their goal is to get like a lot of traffic, like 50,000 sessions a month and up so maybe they can get ad revenue or something? What would you tell them? Yeah, they've got to make that switch. Um, so really interesting, actually. But in my in my business coaching that I do for probably about the first year that I did that, I talked about Squarespace and I talked about all the workarounds and all of that. And now, I, if anybody comes to me and they're not on a WordPress website and their intention is to optimize SEO to you know even to get more one to one clients, I always advise them to switch over. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. it just makes sense. Like if you're if you're going to do the work, yeah. you would hopefully want to get the most juice out of like the lemon squeeze, you know? So uh, anything you can do, yeah, <laughs> to make sure you're getting results. Uh, so let's switch over a little bit and talk about the different ways that your business makes money right now. I know I sort of teased it in the beginning. Uh, just to recap, uh, I think you sent me over some a list of different ways before we started talking. There's like brand consultancy, influencer marketing, online courses, memberships, subscription services, group programs, e-guides, business coaching, ad revenue, and affiliate income. And I know you still have an offer for one-on-one -on -one consultations via another dietitian on your team. So I, for me and people listening, they're like, wow, that's a lot of different income streams. But I, I don't know. I'm guessing you didn't just like start all of them at the same time. Was there like a strategy involved? Like where did you start first and how did yeah, you get to where absolutely. you are today? Yeah. It, it does sound like a lot, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it doesn't feel like a lot, I promise. So where I started was, I knew the goal was ad revenue that was the number one goal that I started you know five years ago that I wanted it to hit 
but I also knew it was going to be the long game and I, you know, and especially being on Squarespace, I knew it was just going to take time. So kind of like chipped away with that in the background. Um, and then I started doing what I'd always done with the consultancy with brands, but, and I did loads of like really short projects, but I've, I felt, I don't know whether it was just, I don't know, maturity time or what, but I felt more confident with putting my prices up. So I started to uh, make a bit more money working with the brands and also working with the really big brands as well. So people who I knew could afford it. So um, Heinz and Burger King and Hovis and, you know, some of the, the, the bigger brands. But I really got fed up with essentially doing a job and working for somebody else. And my heart was still in this whole notion of passive income. And so because I was doing a lot of work around baby nutrition and, you know, some of the work that I was doing for the brands was around weaning and I was still doing my little weaning workshops on the side. What I decided to do was put all of that knowledge together and create an online course. So that was kind of my first uh, that that kind of all happened at the same time, I would say. So blogging in the background, the online course and the brand work in that sort of first first bit. Sure. And how did that yeah. go? Did you, Yeah. I mean, what was the experience like? Like, did you ask your audience at all, like what they were interested in? Or did you create the product and then get feedback? Did you pre-sell it? Like, what was your strategy? Yeah. So it wasn't my first course. <laughs> 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 so my first course, I did none of that and it didn't sell. Um, my first course, just for the story, really, was a course on baby nutrition, which I thought like everybody needs to know about baby nutrition. So I created this um, course and put it out there. And I did actually sell a few spaces, but nowhere near what I wanted to sell. And I had to keep reducing the price. I think I sold maybe 20 spots in its first launch. And at the time, I didn't launch because I didn't really know about launching. So it was just something I created. I put it on Teachable on the free plan, spoke about it in other people's Facebook groups, and had very little uptake with it. So that kind of died a death quite quickly, really. But yeah, so this so this this proper course that I created properly, um, because I knew about Amy Porterfield from all of my research, I joined, I'd actually joined Digital Course Academy back in 2019. And actually, I think that was her first iteration of that as well. And I literally just followed her process step by step by step and launched it step by step by step. And it worked and, and it was great. And and what I found was actually the, all the mums who went through that course, they were still in my audience on Facebook and on Instagram but then they were coming back to me a year later and they were like oh I've got a fussy eater I've got a toddler who's throwing cutlery across the floor and you know they're, they're refusing to have anything to eat and I don't know whether to give them a, something before they go to bed so they're not hungry and then I ended up creating my membership which was the Happy Healthy Eaters Club so they they almost my second niche kind of came from the the people from my first niche, really. I guess the children just got older and they came to me with their new problem, which I then created something to help them solve. I love that. And what made you decide to make that a membership site instead of a second course? Yeah. So the reason why I did that was because I just felt like the topic area was so vast. Um, so with weaning, it was it was quite clearly a course, you know, you start at six months and you do this, that and the other, and then you get to a year and your baby's eating. But with the um, with with the toddlers, you know, there was a bit on fussy eating, but there was also a bit on nutrition that I needed them to know. Um, I wanted to teach them about positive food parenting. There was stuff around the whole you know, around child development and the sensory side of learning how to eat. And it just felt like vast. 
And so the way I designed that was I had um, a new masterclass that, that I produced every single month. And sometimes I brought guest experts in to, to deliver if it wasn't my my particular area. But I created a, a quiz so that when people joined up, they could take the quiz and they could work out, depending on their answers, which bit to work on first and then you know go back to the quiz at a later date and do the next bit. So that worked really, really well. Love that. Uh, yeah. What tool were you using for the quiz? I used uh, Try Interact. Nice. And you yeah. have you liked your experience with that? Yeah. So it's very frustrating. So I use it for a couple of lead magnets as well. And it's very frustrating that people can get the answers without putting in their email address. But you have to do that because of GDPR. So I found a bit of a workaround actually in that when they when they get their answers that I'd host it on on a page on my website and there's a video there and it gives them some first steps but then it says hey you know did you sign up for my emails because I've got something really interesting coming for you tomorrow oh you didn't oh here's a box you can sign <laughs> up now so I've found that I've actually been able to capture quite a lot of the people who didn't bother the first time round by telling them that something really exciting is coming tomorrow <laughs> Oh, good. I love that tip. <laughs> Thank you <Yeah>. for sharing. <laughs> and then around the same time, you were also kind of like integrating affiliate links naturally in your content. So that's how that income stream kind of glommed on to the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So again, that was something I learned from you when when you had the, the course on make money blogging about Amazon affiliates and other brands. And, it, and essentially, every time I produced a blog that had something that I could link to, I did. And both inside the membership and the course, there was products that I was linking out to as well. So it kind of, that kind of just happened naturally, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That one's not like, I feel like that's like the lowest hanging fruit. <laughs> Maybe it's yes. not going to make you the most money unless that's like your full focus and strategy. Obviously there are people who run a full affiliate blogs, but that's very different, very different tactic to take usually in terms of how yes. you decide what content to create. But uh Okay. And then I guess flash forward to today, like what mm. is your most successful income stream today uh, in your business? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it's, I had a look at my, my stats for my, how much money I've made over the last year or so. And it's actually a 50, 50 split. I was really surprised at this because oh yeah, should know this off by heart really. Yeah. But what I found was it's, 50 50 between my business coaching and that's a combination of the I do a group mastermind for dietitians fairly new in their businesses and also one-to-one -one coaching for those who are a bit more further ahead um, so it's split between that and the happy healthy eaters club so the way that membership runs is that I've, I've tended to live launch it about three times a year and it's about two and a half years old so I've done quite a few launches and some of the people you know some of the members I've got were the very first founding members who are in on like the cheapest price but every time I launch I get new members and they tend to hang around you know six to nine months or so so yeah that's that brings in a really nice reoccurring revenue which yeah. I think is really nice to have how many do you know offhand how many people are members right now um I think about 120 although I don't know for definite yeah that's great yeah yeah. Uh, so it, I heard you say you launch it a few times a year. Does that mean that that's the only times people can enroll or is it a combination of, you know, you know, is it available on your website or is it like only available through email? Like what's your sales mechanism? I love to hear how people do that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's closed door. So it's only open when it's open. If someone comes to me desperate and they can't afford the one-to-one, -one, then I will let them in. I wouldn't make people wait, but I don't really advertise it. 
so yeah it's kind of just that closed doors the, it's always there the sales page is always there so people can see it but you know when they click on the button to buy it takes them through to the to the waiting list and actually what I found is one of the most one uh, one of the things I do when I look at my funnels is I work out what the most profitable customer journey is and people being on the waiting list is a real indication that they're likely to then sign up mm-hmm. yeah Great. that's similar to to how my SEO course is set up at this moment. I don't know if it'll always be like that. I'm, I think I'm going to change some things uh, this year, but I'm not sure exactly how. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but, um, yeah. So basically people enter their email to indicate that they're interested and then they'll get notified via email when it's open and then yes. people purchase. Perfect. Uh, okay. And I mean, after all of your experience building these things, uh, like courses, your membership, I also, you also have some just like digital goods too, right? Um, how did, yeah, how, yeah, how I forgot about those. those. Yeah, yeah. So actually, I did those really early on, probably before the course, thinking about it. So actually, what happened there fell into that totally by accident. So I created some portion size guides for babies and toddlers that I was using as lead magnets, and I put them out there. And I made, I think, I got two thousand leads within the first week. So I was like, oh, hang on a minute, Sarah, you need to charge something for this. So I, so I took them down and just put, you know, nine ninety nine price tag on them, and sold those on social, essentially mainly Instagram, but also on my website. And also they're in my nurture sequence emails as well, just periodically through. Um, and so they just trickle in sales all the time, which is really nice to have. Yeah. And what do what do you think? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. I haven't done little like low ticket offers yet. I might in the future, but I've heard people talk about, you know, if, if someone can purchase something small from you and they have a good experience, oftentimes that can increase the likelihood that they might purchase something higher ticket from you because they know your work essentially and they feel confident. Um, has, has that yeah. rang true to you? It has to my toddler parents. So I quite often find that when they when they've got a fussy eater, the first thing they do is look for the cheapest option, um, try that, and then realize actually they need a bit more, and then they come for the next thing. Um, and actually, what I find is some people will go straight for the membership, and some people want the one to one, which is you know, run by the dietitian I have on my team. But yeah, that sort of nine ninety nine guide can then lead into you know. 1200 pounds later which is is quite a nice thing to have yeah so I love it sounds like you're really thinking about the customer's journey through your business where it's like you give them this very introductory lower cost option but then you're prepared to serve them in more hands-on ways either in the membership or one-to-one work as well so that's probably Mm. a really good customer experience (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, let's see. Okay. So after all of your experience building these different income streams, uh, like what are some of the biggest lessons you think you learned or anything major that you would do differently in retrospect? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned, particularly in relation to the the toddler mums when I was really refining that funnel was you can't do enough market research so, you know, when I was creating this product and, and selling this product, I really honestly thought I knew their pain points, I knew their desires, I knew everything about them. But actually, people change over time. And sometimes your perception of them changes over time. So one of the things that I try and do now is get some of these ideal clients on a Zoom call, you know, once a quarter, if I can, and just chat to them and understand 
exactly what's going on for them, what it is that they're hoping to achieve. And also kind of the emotion that's attached to that and, you know, how it really plays out for them in real life. And what I've found is the more you do that, the more, the better your marketing material becomes and the more you can help your clients because you can provide them what they're actually looking for. Mm. So, yeah, so I'd say one of the biggest lessons is don't assume that you've done your ideal customer work once and that's it done. You know, you need to do it lots of times in order to to keep fresh with that yeah and where are these people um, coming from are they just people in your general audience or cus- people that have bought from you already or who are they and how do you invite them onto a call yeah so yeah so I, I avoid anyone who's bought from me because I, I want to get people who um I don't want people to tell me what they think I want to hear I want to hear it you know <laughs> from strangers so they don't they're not offending anybody by saying anything so I either go to usually my Instagram or my Facebook group and ask for volunteers there or um I have sometimes put something out on an email list more surveys actually that I send via the email list but yeah, people tend to be, and I always say, you know, in exchange for your time, I'll happily answer any questions you've got. So, you know, it usually fills up quite quickly. Nice. Yeah. That's one of the things I always hear people saying that you should do, and I've never actually done it. So it's also on my list of like things I should probably do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I totally agree. For some reason, that concept keeps coming up like in things that I've been listening to. I'm like, is this a sign? <laughs> Do I really yeah. I probably put this on my agenda? Um, yeah. Uh, and one of the things I was just listening to something in, on this topic and one of the questions that they asked people was like, you know, if you had a hundred dollars to spend, like what would you spend it on or a thousand dollars? And it's not even like, what would you spend it on even in your business or like to solve this problem? It's just like to learn about your customer and what they value and like understanding where they want to spend their money in general like whether it's like a vacation or you know a dinner out or like whatever they respond to is a really good insight into their values and how what what they like yeah and that can play into your marketing for sure yeah absolutely I don't think you can ever know your ideal client well enough uh, okay. So thank you for that suggestion. Anyone listening, if you're like me and you've never done this, <laughs> highly recommend learning more about it. Uh, let's see. And did you have any other, so you, now you're doing your, um, your, your market research often uh, and yeah. it's never done essentially. <laughs> and yeah. actually before we move on from that topic, like, so you do the calls, you're asking people questions, do you have like a framework of questions that you ask people? Yes, I do. Um, so I've got a set of questions that I take people through. Um, what, one of the things I try and do actually is identify what their limiting beliefs are, because I find that if you can work out what's holding them back, you can really tailor your marketing material in order to try and help them overcome that and realize that actually working with somebody or, or, you know, buying the thing is what they need to do in order to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then after you do that and you get people's responses, like how do you practically infuse that <laughs> into your marketing? Do you have <laughs> steps for that too? Yeah. So I'm fortunate that I've got a couple of copywriters on my team, actually. So what I tend to do is transcribe the conversations and ask them for for their expertise. You know, they're, they're far better with words than I am. And what they'll do is they'll take a look at 
the the information that I've gleaned and and turn it into social media posts and um sales page copy and emails you know things that I can use in this in my sales emails in particular so yeah just really taking those words and share sharing them far and wide really yeah there's nothing more powerful than using your ideal customers words and yes. like putting it back to them because then it feels like oh wow they really get it and they're like understanding what I'm saying <laughs> essentially yes yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I love that tip, not just using it for your, you know, sales page or something, but also social media, like as a way to connect, I feel like with your ideal customer and give them that feeling like, oh, okay, they get it. That's really powerful. Again, I'm not really yeah, doing that. Absolutely. So I can't really, <laughs> I can't really like <laughs> spouse on this very much, but in theory, it's what I plan to try to do. Uh <laughs> Boosting my social media ta- uh, like strategies on my list for my next things work on once I get my course relaunched. So, yeah. Okay. So, any other big lessons that you learned? Any other big lessons? So, I think one of the other big lessons was about um, you know not creating something until you've actually know people actually want it. Um, like that first baby nutrition course that I created, and and pre-selling actually. So that's the other thing. Every time I've created something now, I pre-sell it before, or well, I don't actually create it. I create the outline or the idea, the concept, and present that to people and pre-sell it at a sort of founding member's price. And then if I get enough of an interest, then I'll go on to create it. And that saved me a lot of you know even you know since you know, since then it's saved a lot of time. Most things I have gone on to create, but um, about a year ago, I decided I was going to create a, a particular program for other dietitians in business. And I sent an email out and posted about it on social and I only had one person say they would be interested. So I'm so pleased that I did that because <laughs> that would have been a big time suck. So yeah, um, you know, absolutely not not doing that background work, first of all. And what else? Um, so, oh, oh, the other thing as well is I think it came to me quite late, actually, about how much you need to nurture the audience that you build before you can try and sell to them. So what I've what I've realized now is once I've once I've got leads coming into the business, I have got a really awesome um, nurture sequence essentially that goes on for quite a long time and what I found is the longer the people that are on my list and the more nurtured they are the more likely that they are to buy so if I can spend time and effort crafting these emails I can send out to them or even you know videos and sometimes people say oh I already feel like I know you and it's because I've sent them videos every week for a few weeks I think that's something that has really helped sales as well. Yeah. Do you cross use those videos? Like, is it a video from social that you're like embedding in your email or is it like just something private that you host somewhere and send out in the email? Like what, what's your strategy there? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all over the place. So it's the same stuff that will go um, on social and email as well. Um, So yeah, absolutely. Great repurposing strategy. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I get that uh, comment from people listening to my podcast because they're like, I feel like I know you from your voice and stuff like that. Uh, so I agree. Any any format where it goes a little beyond the written word is a really good way to build connection and trust for sure. Yes, definitely. Uh, okay. yeah, it's so, all about the relationships, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so 
In terms of your audience and your marketing channels, what has been like the biggest winner for you? Yeah. So I've, I've had quite a lot of success with, well, SEO, obviously. Um, what I find actually is people will find me on Google for the one-to-one consultations. So whenever I, I, I always ask people, where did they hear about me? And nearly always for the one-to-one consultations, it's Google. And that, that's for the nutrition side of the business. Um, so the SEO has been great for that. Uh, I've had my email marketing. I would say that's probably been one of the main things that's been really successful for me. So I make a lot of digital sales that way. So, you know, if I if I ever need, need a little cash injection, I just might send out a couple of emails and I'll get sales in return from, from that. But the other thing is as well is when people join my list, they enter a quite a long uh, email sequence and in, you know, at various intervals in there, I've got little things for sale. So that just really allows me to have a nice passive regular income coming in, you know, trickling in on an, an evergreen funnel all the time. Um, so yeah. that's been good. Um, what else? The way I've used social media is to drive people to the website. So um, I find that although I've got more followers on Instagram, I get more traffic from Facebook, which is interesting. And Pinterest worked really well for me for a little while and then that stopped working. But I'm having a look at that again this year. And then the other thing that's been great for me actually is Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. So I, I started playing with ads quite a few years ago, did not know what I was doing. And then I did some training and that's been brilliant, particularly for things like leading up to the live launches. So getting people onto the webinars, um, that's been really, really successful and retargeting people who've been to the webinars with the with the offer. And actually what that's led me then to go on and do is to do some training so that I'll become a certified Facebook ads manager and I'll be able to help other dietitians with their Facebook ads as well, because I think they're so powerful when you know what you're doing, but it's really hard, you know, to to really learn how to do them properly, which I guess yeah. is why people employ ads managers. For sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I feel like getting to know the dietitian space gives you an advantage too, because I know there are more restrictions if you're talking about health stuff, <laughs> like certain words you can't use and things yeah, like that. Yeah, images and yeah, all sorts of things that you can't actually say. Um, <laughs> when you just, there's, a, there's a technique for being kept out of Facebook jail. <laughs> yeah. So that is an asset. Like if you nail that, like definitely that is, that takes a lot of time and experience and playing to learn. So definitely worth outsourcing to someone who knows what they're doing for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I think you mentioned that you did a little bit of PR too. What was that like? Yeah. Yeah. So I started doing, I had been, I've always kind of done a little bit of PR, but never properly. Um, and I decided that I wanted to work. So I wanted to do it for a few reasons. I wanted the backlinks to help the SEO. Um, but I also just wanted to raise my profile as, as they sort of first eating dietitian in, in the UK as the, the, the go-to person um, and so I decided to use PR to do that and that has been brilliant so it's got me featured all over the place in all different kinds of publications it led to me setting up my very own fussy eating awareness week in November last year Love <laughs> which that. is really great yeah yeah that was that was a that was fantastic I really enjoyed that and yeah, I think what it's done is it's it's kind of just it's it's kind of just 
I guess increased my thought leadership. It's kind of just put me out there as the person to go to if you've got questions or if you want to talk a bit more about, you know, fussy eating. It's really helped. Yeah. And for people listening who aren't familiar with what PR is, can you just share what that means? Yeah, so it's working with the media, really. So um, whether that's in print or uh, a lot of publications are online now. I've done a bit of radio work, a bit of TV work, podcasts, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. And did and you... of course, if it's sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> Um, if it's in a in a digital place, then if they give you a backlink, then that's you know brilliant in terms of um, your SEO as well. So yeah. that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, so many ways that that helps boost your SEO for sure. But the backlink and then also, like you said, the thought leadership and making yeah. it clear to bots who are like crawling the internet and looking for your name mentioned places uh, that that shows that you have a lot of authority and people trust you because they feature yes. you on, on big platforms. So did you do all the outreach yourself or did you work with a team? Yeah, so last year I worked with a team for most of last year, actually, and they were fantastic at finding me the work. And also um, one of the things they helped me do was really, really refine my message so that I wasn't just a pediatric dietitian or, you know, a dietitian who talked about weaning babies and fussy eaters. It was really like, what is it about fussy eaters that you want to do? So they really helped me sort of nail my messaging and what I really wanted to be known for. Mm. Um, And then this year I've decided to go alone and it's been a lot slower because obviously they're, you know, scouting, looking for all of these places for me to be featured. But um, yeah, it's been really, really good, really effective. And is that a pricey investment or I don't really have any experience hiring PR. Yes. It was very expensive, which is why I've decided to have a go at doing it myself. So I think probably I spent maybe twenty or thirty thousand pounds last year on on PR. And you know, there's no guarantees. So if the journalists aren't interested in talking about anything to do with nutrition or children, then the you the the results just might not, the opportunities might not happen. So yeah, no guarantees. Yeah. But it does sound like you got a lot of good placements in that one year commitment. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did. Yeah. And some really high profile places as well, you know, like the Huffington Post and things like that, which, which was really great. Yeah. So I know we're, we're, we've been talking for almost an hour now and I don't want to take up too much of your time, <laughs> but I know that you've really also sort of niched down into helping dietitians set up funnels and kind of optimize those funnels. And it seems like you have a really good understanding of the different like levels of funnels, like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. Can you just like quickly run us through what that looks like in your business uh, and explain kind of what those terms mean for people? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I think once I started to understand funnels, everything just made sense. And and actually now that's exactly what I do is I teach funnels to two other dietitians. So yeah, so at the top of the funnel is essentially your, your visibility strategy. So uh, for me, it's people finding my website, so SEO. I've also got a Facebook group, the PR work would count as sort of top of funnel visibility, but also I run engagement ads through Facebook and Instagram um, and then just being a guest on other people's channels that can really help with visibility but once once you're visible you've then got to get people actually into your funnel so the sort of next step really is turning some of those people who've seen you into leads so the, the sort of obvious thing that a lot of people do is create a lead magnet like or a freebie 
and I've got all sorts of different ones in my business. So PDF downloads, the quizzes, um, webinars. And off the back of all of those, there's a thank you page. And I have a, a what we call a tripwire offer on that thank you page, which is usually something that's fairly cheap and no brainer price. Um, so under under $50, under £50, I would say. And so you earn a bit of money that way, which is great. And then, so once once those leads are in, in your funnel, you then really need to nurture the relationship. So that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier. And the way that I've chosen to do that is, so actually they come in and they get a, a bit of a welcome sequence and then they go straight into a sale sequence. And then whether they sell, whether they buy or don't buy at the end of that sale sequence, they all go into this lovely, warm, nurturing sequence. And it's essentially just really high value content that's really really helpful actually what I do is I repurpose my blogs so I just rewrite the blogs into emails and I've got one um, sequence you know if people come in on a baby lead magnet that leads through till for about six months and then they go into my toddler sequence if they come in on the toddler lead magnets they go into this two-year toddler sequence um, and then every time I create a new broadcast email, I just add it on to the end of the toddler sequence. So that sequence is just going to get longer and longer and longer. And so it's it's just over two years now. And then if, you know, so my audience is segmented on my list. So I've got the baby bucket, I've got the toddler bucket, and then I've also got the dietitians. And so if you're a dietitian who comes in on a lead magnet, you get entered into this year-long nurture sequence, which is just loads of really, really high value stuff. And then when the time is right, I will sell something. So sometimes it'll be, if it's a low ticket thing, so it'll be within those emails. And I find I can sell anything up to about £500 via email. If it's something a bit more expensive, I tend to I tend to either live launch, which I actually love live launching. So it's, it's a bit full on and there's a lot of energy, but it's essentially a presentation and a sales pitch. And then at the end of that live launch, more emails to nurture. Um, and and coach them into the sale essentially mm-hmm. or sometimes it'll rather than rather than doing a live launch I'll invite people onto a discovery call instead and make the sale that way so the coaching towards the sale actually happens on a call so that's kind of the bottom of the funnel um, bit and then of course when they're a customer you really want to onboard them really well offboard them really well give them an amazing experience so then they come back and be a repeat customer and the dietitians that I coach, that's what I want for them in their businesses. So, you know, whether they're just starting out or quite a lot of the time they've set up a private practice, but they haven't really thought about the business or the strategy side of things. So I'll really help them get this nailed. Or if they've already got a business and they're looking to scale it, we'll literally unpick every step of that funnel mm-hmm. and work out, you know, what are the micro conversion points and what are the bottlenecks and what do they need to double down on or what do they need to change so that they can just really scale and, and optimize and start making lots of money. Yeah, that's one of my favorite <laughs> parts about setting up systems like this is that you do get actionable data. So you're not yeah. guessing. Um, yes. Yeah, you can figure out what's working and what's maybe not working so well and keep tweaking. And then, like you said, once you have something that converts at a really reliable rate, it's just like, okay, let's like open the doors. Like, you know, if you can put ads on top of that and get leads yeah. that way, like you're just multiplying your results essentially uh, in yes, a pretty reliable absolutely. way. Yeah. And and I think that's it. You know, once you've, once you've nailed your funnel and you've got it working properly, 
it's just a numbers game. You know, the more you put in, the more you get out the other end. So, yeah. (laughs) And I'm just going to say it. It sounds intimidating. Like the way you just laid that out, you're like, holy moly, that is like a lot of work and a lot of steps. (laughs) But you don't have to like, you can baby step it, you know, like get your welcome sequence in there, like create your really low ticket, like tripwire offer or whatever. Like, you know, you can do it little step by step. And then eventually you look back and you're like, wow. I have a yes. lot going for me. It's mostly automated. Like that's what what I did before I had my first baby. I spent almost a year creating my current evergreen funnel and like really yeah. optimizing everything as best as I thought I could <laughs> in the beginning. And it really, really paid off. And I think saved, yes. earned me more money and also probably saved me money in the long run because it yeah, was actually think- optimized. Yeah, I think you, you're absolutely right there. You know, you, you have to dedicate a chunk of time to working on your business, not just in your business, because once you've got this all set up, it, it'll pay in dividends. So, yeah, just really, really quick before we wrap up, do you have a team? Like how how realistic yeah. is this? Like, do you have to have like 20 employees to get something like this done? Or, you know, what does your team look like if you have one? And how much are you working every week? Yeah. So no, I have a very, very small team. So I have this myself um, and I work um, Monday to Thursday. I like to keep Fridays as a day to myself and I only work school hours. So I do 9.30 till about three o'clock ish. And then um, I have Claire, who's my assistant on the team. So she does about 15 hours a week for me. She still works full time in the NHS. So it's evenings, weekends, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and But she's absolutely brilliant. And then I've got some contractors. So I've got a couple of part-time VAs who, you know, just do ad hoc work. One one does more design stuff. One does more tech Kajabi stuff. Um, and then a couple of copywriters, again, who are contractors. So it's all ad hoc work. They'll write stuff for me whenever I need something doing. And we've just brought on a videographer and photographer um, to work on some of the recipes. But again, it's all contracted out. So it's just small projects as and when we need people mm-hmm. so you, do, you don't need to have a huge amount of time actually no <laughs> yeah so I love that Monday through Thursday 9 30 to 3 one part-time VA and some contractors and, yeah. and you mentioned that you're making multiple six figures with this setup correct yeah yeah absolutely and and I think part of that is because the overheads are so low so I don't have very much you know to to spend every month so the, obviously there's a tech and that that costs a little bit but my biggest expense are the, the 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 team so once i've paid their bills you know everything else is is profit which is amazing i know it's the best it's yeah. so much better than having a full office and all that overhead that comes with it so and i love that you can reach people basically all over the world like we are connected and we don't live anywhere near each other so we would never have worked together if we were limited to in person uh um, so yeah uh so where do you envision going in the next couple of years so this year we're working on the seo for the recipes that's a big job for us because the recipes were created <laughs> back in 2018 uh so we need to really really sort those out so there's 120 on the website at the minute they bring in virtually no traffic at all so we're working to optimize with images video and so the intention is to get more money from mediavine with with those and actually i'm just i'm just looking at, at that project as the ceo so my team are all kind of doing that which is great i'm just kind of taking that bird's eye view because what I'm trying to do this year is grow the dietitians and business brand. 
so I've got the mastermind, which has just been approved by the British Dietetic Association for 40 CPD hours, which is amazing. So I've got their their endorsement, which is lovely. And then also I've got the my, the program for the, those who have kind of been through um, the mastermind or they've already got established businesses. So that's called Elevate. And I currently teach that one to one at the moment, but I would love to teach that as a group if the numbers you know were bigger so my yeah my plan is to really um scale that side of the business this year love it yeah totally relate <laughs> it's so much fun <laughs> once you get like the bones in place it does allow you to kind of step back and be more of the ceo and do the bigger picture yeah. planning and i don't know about you but that stuff's fun it's it really is. fun it's, yeah it is it's the bit i love the best so mm-hmm. yeah really happy to be doing that <laughs> all right well let's close it out i would just love to hear your like Final advice for people listening. I kind of, I know in my notes for the episode, I asked for like the top three pieces of advice for RDs who are thinking about starting an online business today. And then also like the people who I know there's a lot of people listening who are in the frustrated and feeling stuck phase. So like to those people, like they're thinking about getting started or they've started, but they're just like, none of this is sticking. Nothing's working. Like what is going on? What are your tips for them? Yeah. So, um, so the, for the stuck people, <laughs> um, what I would say is, are they absolutely a hundred percent clear on who that ideal client is? Because people buy what they want, they don't buy what they need. But we, particularly as healthcare professionals, are really good at creating what we think that they need. But that's not what they're going to pay money for. So, if you're absolutely clear about that, what I would do is I would look at your wholesale pipeline, the wholesale funnel. So where do your leads come in from? Um, What do you do with that lead in order to deepen that connection and nurture the relationship? You know, how do you present the offer? Is it the right way to present the offer to them? And, you know, really unpick all of those. I call them micro conversions, but people make decisions all the way through that funnel. So, you know, look at all of those decision points and just see, is there anything that's not working? It could be the, you know, looking at your emails, the open rates are are low. So it's probably the subject line. It might be, you know, they're, they're opening the emails, but they're not clicking on the link. So it's really just looking at all those tiny little steps um, through that funnel. Mm-hmm. And for the people new to business, I think that, you know, the, the key three things are, you know, have a niche. Please, please, please have a niche. It's definitely the stumbling block for lots and lots of dietitians who just, you know, don't want to n- nail down and just do one thing. But it's really, really hard to run a business if you're trying to be a jack of all trades and then once you've got your niche work out what your mission message is get that mixed up so what is it the thing that you want to be known for what's going to make you stand out from all the other dietitians in your speciality so you know really nail that message and then the third thing I would say is you have to get visible so what that was one of the things that really um, I struggled with at the start was putting my face and voice out there and actually you know standing for my business as as the business owner but people buy from people that don't buy from businesses and so you do have to get visible and be everywhere and be consistent with it so that they can get to know like and trust you because that's really really important if you essentially if you want your business to be a business and not a hobby yeah And I will circle on top of that, 
but don't let the perfection piece get in your way. Because I remember yeah. earlier in this episode, you said that at one point you were publishing a blog post like every other month and that yeah. was all that could happen at that time, but that was still consistency and yes. that's important. Um, it is absolutely yeah. done is better than perfect. Exactly. Great. Well, thank you so much. This was a really helpful, informative interview. I know it's going to be inspiring for a lot of people. So if people want to connect with you further and follow along with your you and your brand, where should they go? Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so my website is childrensnutrition.co.uk. I'm the children's nutritionist across all of the socials. And then for the business coaching side of things, my website is saraharmondbushel.com. And I have an Instagram account, which is Dietitians in Business, where I share a little bit of behind the scenes stuff following along my business journey, but also some tips and advice as well. Great. Well, I will put all the links to that in the show notes if people uh, can't jot that down right now. So if you're listening, you can just head to theunconventionalrd.com when you have time in the future and find this episode and all the links will be there as well. So thank you so much for your time today. And I'm so excited that you're a part of our community and we get to keep in touch and I get to see all the exciting things you're doing. So thank you again for, for sharing your story today. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. 